All right, if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to Acts chapter 6. We're going to dive right in. I'm going to crawl up to the diving board and let's jump into Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. A lot of firsts will happen in this text, which I'll explain in a moment. And I want to explore with you how the obstacle is the way. It's on page 889. 889, your pew Bibles, Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And again, Luke is recording the ongoing expansion of the early church, and we're studying what that means for us today. Verse 1 of Acts 6. Now, during those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. And so the twelve called together the whole community of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word. A lot of firsts that happen right here in this moment. Important for us in the year 2020 to understand how significant the problem, the obstacle that arose in this moment. In fact, this is the first moment where you might argue that there were growing pains of the church. This was not a moral failing. This was not a a theological dispute. This was literally growing pains as they increased in numbers. There was a problem. There was a group of widows who were not being served. However, it's essential to know we can't overlook this that the source of this problem was more than just growing pains. In fact, the experience of some being overlooked in the daily distribution of food uh, had more to do than just the great size. It had everything to do with the multicultural, multi-ethnic, tremendously diverse makeup of the early church. I wanna show this to you. If you would open those Bibles back up, it says here, Again, this is verse one. It says, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews. We can't leapfrog over this. We must understand that the Hellenists were a minority group in the larger setting. The Hellenists primarily spoke Greek. The Hebrews primarily spoke Aramaic. Uh, They were Aramaic as a second language. Perhaps there was ASL classes, not ESL classes. And as a result, they were on the outskirts. They were on the margins of decision-making. 
They were on the outskirts, they were on the margins of an awareness of what needs were. And here you had a subset of the whole of the community that sought to be unified, that sought to be one in Christ, that sought to not divide everyone up the world the way the world divides everyone up. And they rose a complaint because their widows, those of their kind, you might say, were completely being overlooked. Now, it's absolutely essential that there are a lot of ways the church could have gone in this moment. They could have split. They could have fractured. They could have put the Hellenists off in their own corner, the Hebrews off in their own corner. They could have just, uh, you know, just isolated everybody based upon how they spoke. But the Spirit of God says, no, I'm longing for you to experience God's heart for community, a heart that transcends all the barriers that humans place upon it, that you would find your identity in Christ more than anything else, and so what do they do? This obstacle that rose up, rather than avoiding that obstacle, they realized the obstacle was the way forward. They needed to figure this out. Now, what's fascinating is what's not spoken here. Take a look. It says, verse 2, and the 12, these are the apostles. Again, all Hebrews. These are all Jewish men. They've been following Jesus they were handpicked by Jesus Christ. This is part of a subset of a larger group of disciples that made up of both men and women, a larger subset of the growing church. But it says this, and the 12 called together the whole community of the disciples, so significant. They don't rush off in the corner and make a decision in a smoky room. They don't make a decision in isolation. They go before the whole of the community and they say, it is not right now, the Greek word there is better translated, it is not pleasing. This is not about efficiency or efficacy. This is about what pleases the heart of God. And so the apostles are responding perhaps towards the details of the complaint. They're saying it is not right for us as apostles to neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, this is more than just, hello, may I take your order? You know, would you like wine with that? You know, that's not what waiting on tables. You see, this is twofold. To wait on tables had to do with the daily distribution of food, but also clothing, and also uh, the tables were the, the modern-day ancient equivalent of a bank. Tables were where money was exchanged, where money was given. And so they are responding to the details of the complaint that are not spoken and it was this. Here's the complaint. The Hellenists are saying, some of our own are being overlooked. So you, apostles, you feed them. You care for them. You. And what's so significant is they went beyond the how to address the obstacle, and they got to the source of the problem. Now, that's so significant for us today because often we go right to the how, and that's not always the best way to deal with an obstacle or a problem. You see, there was this temptation right back then for those apostles to respond to the complaint. Their heartstrings likely were tugged. They know Scripture says they were supposed to care for the widow, the oppressed, those in the margins. They could have easily said, we'll do it. They could have easily burned themselves out trying to do too many things, but they chose a better way. 
Now, I've got to tell you, maybe this doesn't strike you the way it strikes me, but the way it strikes me as a pastor is likely the same way it strikes you as a pastor, likely the same way it strikes you as a pastor, likely the same way it strikes every modern pastor around the globe. There is this deep, profound desire and temptation for the pastor, the preacher, to do everything. And not only is that wrong, not only is that not efficient, not only is that not effective, that actually displeases the Lord. Paul, later on in his letter to the church in Corinth, talks about us as the body of Christ. We all are parts of that that body that make up the fullness of what Christ wants to continue to do in and through this world. Right then in that moment, there was this temptation for one part of the body, let's call it the pinky, to do what the feet should do, to do what the ears should do, to do what the lips should do. I want to push this metaphor for a moment. Imagine if you used your pinky for everything in life. Imagine if you got here today in this service by only using your pinky. And I, I'm going to push this metaphor, and let's get literal. Imagine if you tried to get, literally, if you tried to get, imagine if you tried to dress yourself with just your pinky. You wouldn't be here. You'd be at home. Try putting socks, try it later on today. Put on stockings with your pinky. Try putting your shoes on with your pinky. Uh, try brushing your teeth with just your pinky. Try eating with just a pinky. Imagine driving or walking with just your pinky. Uh, not only would you get frustrated, eventually it might, it, it might eventually break. And that sounds crazy, right? Some of you, look, I can see your faces. You're like, why would you say this? Well, we do this every day at church. We put a weight that can't be sustained on certain people. It's not surprising that depression among pastors is one of the highest across all professions. It's not surprising why the rate of burnout is so high among pastors. It's not surprising that 35 years is the record around the nation for staying power in a role. You see, they resisted that temptation. What did they do? They weren't tempted to do the how of how the people said, well, you do this. The temptation is always to outsource to professionals. The temptation is to always say, you fix it. And obedient to God, they turned to the community, the body of Christ. They didn't do it down any other lines, but they went to the whole community, and they said, you, family, choose from among yourselves seven men. Now, why was it seven, and why was it men? Well, Josephus says that actually in that time, in the first century, there was this pattern of having in a, in a particular set of towns, especially in Galilee, for example, seven judges that would oversee the communities while there was 70 elders. In Hellenistic culture, now this is a Greek culture, there was a pattern of having councils put together by seven seven men. 
And so here's this particular need at a particular point in time. In the first century, there's a group of people who are not having their community's needs met. And in a culturally appropriate, uh, a culturally contextualized sort of way, they say, raise from up among yourselves seven. And the whole community went, ah, seven. We're familiar with this. And they said, seven men. And likely the Hellenists said, oh, just like all of our councils. And what did they do? They chose seven. But you've got to understand what the requirements were for those seven. If you would, take a look. It says right here, verse three, therefore friends, and I love the the heart here, I love the, this is not, therefore you complainers. Therefore you, ah, no, therefore friends, select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, these two things, full of the spirit and full of wisdom. Full of the spirit and full of wisdom. That's the requirement. It's fascinating. A couple weeks ago we talked about how the chief priests, remember, they were full of jealousy. The Greek word meant that they were overflowing with jealousy. Later on in the passage, this is Acts chapter 5, it says that Jerusalem was filled with the teaching of Jesus. Literally, the whole city was overflowing with the teaching of Jesus. So this verb is then used again. These people are overflowing with the Spirit of God, and they're overflowing with wisdom. How significant is this truth? that today in 2020, there are going to be problems that will arise, there will be obstacles that will arise in this community that we've got to address. And the answer isn't hiring more staff. Uh, The answer isn't from us going from a 60-hour week to an 80-hour week. The answer is us coming back to the community and saying, would you choose men and women full of the Spirit of God and full of wisdom? In fact, why don't we do that right now? Yeah, let's do this right now. Actually, we need to do this right now because we've got a tremendous need. In fact, this passage is the origin of the ministry of the deacons, the daily distribution of food, that word distribution, and later on the word served is the root word where we get the office of deacon. You see, they are doing the work before they hold the title. And sadly, over time, it became more about holding the title than about serving. But we actually have a tremendous need in our communities, in our neighborhoods, around this city, where people are in tremendous need, where we need people to meet people in hospitals, in homes, bring communion to the homebound, to help get together and to assess the financial needs of those in our church family so that we can distribute not just food and care and love, but finances. In fact, next week, we're going to have a special offering for our deacon fund. How amazing that this moment set into motion something that's been going on for 2,000 years, and we are still doing it today. So we're going to do this right now. We're going to choose. Well, we're not going to choose right now because we've got a committee. You see, we're organized. A nominating committee. But remember, the apostles turned to the church family, and this is you. Select from among yourselves people full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. So in your pews, literally, we're going to do this right now, we have pieces of paper, little cards. Uh, You might want to get up and go forward. You might want to do this after the service. But literally, there is a card, and it says, Deacon, no one's moving. So let me just come down here. Some of you are like, 
I came to watch, not to do. Well, you came to the wrong place because we are a doing community. Here we go. Deacon and elders. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to walk around just to see some movement here. This is it. This is what it means to not be the staff at work, not to be pastors at work. This is what it means to be the church at work. There are people around you that you know full of spirit and full of wisdom. Some people are not making eye contact with me because they're, they're terrified. No, we're, we're, we're not going to. So it should say deacon and elder nomination card. And I'd love for you to begin praying about this. Normally, look at you. You are distributing not food, but the deacon and nomination cards. Begin thinking about this. Begin praying about this. Take this with you. Nominate yourself. Of course, this is for members of our church family. So some of you aren't yet members. It's not too late, right? Pastor Kim to join the... Uh, so right after service today, we have, what is it 60 people total between the morning and evening registered or so? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. So it's the place to be as you discover Bel Air. And great opportunity for you to consider what it means to be part of this church family. You might not know one person in this church family. That's okay for a little bit, but that's a problem if that goes on for months and months and years and years. That's why we had the announcement about life groups. You were created for community, to know others, to be known. And perhaps towards the end of the service, whether it's in the plate that goes by, perhaps it's in the secure boxes in the back, perhaps it's the information table as you leave, we are looking for women and men full of spirit and full of wisdom that we can then give our nominating committee that they prayerfully would interview and identify that next group of people who will serve in this capacity as deacons beginning next year. But what's so fascinating, it says that they identified seven people. If you know much Greek, you might have noticed that every single one of those individuals had a Greek name. Every single one of them, you might say, is a Hellenist. The people that rose up the problem, said this is an obstacle, at the same time stepped up and said, yes, we will be part of addressing this need. And as this church becomes more and more diverse, and as we continue to grow, the answer isn't to stay small. The answer isn't to stay segregated and separated. The answer is for every single one of us to play our part that we would be an entire church working for what God has for us, that we would step up in separate ways, that we would be able to use our gifts, our talents, our resources, our passions to serve not only Christ, our resurrected Lord, but also those in our midst, in our city. And what's so fascinating is that the last name here, Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, this is Luke's hometown. This is somebody who was neither a Hebrew nor a Hellenist. This was a Gentile who actually converted to following Christ. Long before Cornelius, this is the first Gentile convert to the faith. Easy to overlook, but it then says in verse 7, he uses three imperfect verbs, which means that this was a daily occurrence. This was continually happening. This was an exponential growth, and it was this. The word of God continued to spread. 
because they were obedient to God to say, this is not just a few, but all of us working. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly. As a side note, this is the first time the word disciple is used in the book of Acts. It's used 28 different times. It begins right here. This is a follower of Jesus. Not just on Sundays, but this is in every way of your life, a follower of Jesus Christ, the resurrected king. And third, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. These are people who walked out of their profession out of professional religion and says, I want to be part of this growing community. This is priests in the Jewish system. They became obedient to the faith. There was transformation happening all around. But what it required was leaders saying, there's a temptation for us to do it all. That's actually displeasing to the Lord. God's heart is that every single one of us would rise up and that we would be co-equals in this great body of Christ, this expansion of the kingdom of God here in this city and around the globe. Every single one of us has an opportunity to submit our lives to Christ when we're alone, behind closed doors, in our private thoughts, in our time away of this community so that the Spirit of God can fill up in our lives so that we too can grow to become individuals who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. You see, here's the truth. There's gonna be a year from now where new problems, new obstacles will rise up and you will be needed to solve that problem. And you have a choice. You can either choose to live your own way, to be the Lord of your life, You can continue to be distracted from God's call in your life and suppress the Spirit of God, suppress true godly wisdom, so that a year from now, you'll never be part of the greatest need on the face of the planet, God's needs. Or you can choose today to say, this begins with me. This begins with my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This begins with my personal decision to not only give my life to Christ as my Lord and my Savior, but this begins with me being a disciple of Jesus in every aspect of my life. This means that I'm going to submit to God's Word. This this means that I'm going to be part of a community that can speak truth and love into my life. I'm not going to run when there's problems. I'm not going to run when it's difficult, but I'm going to invest in this community so that wisdom will grow in my life, so that the Holy Spirit will grow in my life. And when you begin to choose that today and tomorrow and the day after that, and then there's setbacks, and then you repent, and then you confess, and then you're forgiven, the Spirit of God transforms you in such a way that there's going to be a need, a a tremendous need that we don't even know yet that God knows, and God says, I'm going to tap you on the shoulder, and you are going to be the solution to that problem. You have no idea what God has in store for you. And it begins with every day a step of obedience. And so part of what we're gonna do today isn't just looking around and saying, oh, I think these people are great. It begins with saying, here's what I'm going to give to this community. You also have one more thing in the pew in front of you. And before I pray and before we receive our tithes and our offerings, it is this card, Stewardship 2020. As a church family, we want to be a church that gives our time and our talent and our treasure towards this community and the ministry of what God is doing in and through this church. This is more than finances. This is more than time. This is more than your talent. It's your life. 
And beginning today at the end of the service and extending throughout the entire month of February, we simply want to give you an opportunity between you and God uh, and our confidential finance department how you might anticipate that you would give through this church family in the year to come. You'll notice on this Stewardship 2020, place for you to fill out your name and your address and your city, your phone and your email. And some of you, you might know how to do this. My wife and I, we know how we would project and look ahead and say we, we know how much we are going to give over the course of a year and break it down month by month. Some of you might say, I think this is what I'm going to be able to give over the course of the year, but go beyond the top section. For some of us, our heart is wrapped up in our time. In fact, you'll notice on the bottom it says, I'd like to serve in or get information about serving in, and there are about, gosh, 12 different boxes down below in which you can step forward and serve, in which you can play your part in this growing community of faith. As we grow larger, we must experientially grow smaller. As we expand, not only on this campus and this city and around the globe, we must experience what it means to be in relationship with one another. The only way we can do that is if we all step forward with our gifts in service. So would you begin praying if you haven't begun praying already? We've been announcing this for about a month now, but for some of you hearing this for the first time, would you pray, God, how would you give through me in this upcoming year And at the very, very end of the service, as we are sent out into our day, we're going to have an opportunity to give this on the way out. But right now, let me pray for us as we continue on in worship. Jesus, we thank you that these first followers of you modeled for us how to approach obstacles. Obstacles as a community, but also obstacles that we face individually. So Jesus, I pray that it would be your spirit that would fill us, that we would receive godly wisdom in such a way that we would overflow in it in every area of our life, in our relationships, in our workplaces as we gather here as a community. God, may you call us in this new year, in this new decade to be your church, a church at work, a church rolling up our sleeves to play our part in your great kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. God, you have called us for such a time as this in our 64th year as a local church. May this chapter begin today with our obedience to you, our desire to be used for your glory. Jesus, we thank you that you've come, you've paid it all, you've set us free for your namesake. And it's in your name we pray and we say together, amen.